Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchioni and Mark Chenoweth is on vacation. So uh, I will have others filling in so that you just don't hear uh, my dulcet tones. Um, I'm very happy to have our uh, new attorney at uh, New Civil Liberties Alliance, Casey Norman, joining me. And we're going to have a discussion. Uh, on last week's show, we had Rich Sampon to talk with Mark about West Virginia versus Environmental Protection Agency. This is the case that came out on the last day of the court's term and uh, struck down the Clean Power Act uh, regulations uh, of the EPA that had claimed under Section 111 of the Clean Power Act to um, be able to regulate not point source uh, CO2, but the entire system of generation of a state, whether they use coal or natural gas. Uh, they don't really mention nuclear here, but wind and solar. And so um, New Civil Liberties Alliance had put in a brief on uh, really the non-delegation doctrine that the courts had been using is, is pretty useless. And our founder, Phil Hamburger, signed that. Mark signed that. Um, Brian Rosner and Rich Samp were all on that. And, and Gorsuch goes uh, well, pretty much into it. But um, I don't want to repeat what we talked about last week, but I do, I do want to, I do want to um, discuss um, some of the things that have been said about the case and its consequences and how far it's going to go and also where the court's going. So Casey, I, I, one of the things that I thought here was I thought and if you heard our shows, Mark and I talk about the justices. I'm, I think Kagan's probably one of the smartest people up there. And her dissent in this case is kind of interesting because she accuses everybody of not being textualists and originalists. Um, what did you think of her dissent? And what, what do you think she's trying to do there? I think, I mean, she does make a lot of strong points. Um, but I think when you look at the core reasoning of the majority and also of Gorsuch's concurrence in particular. I think they're saying in this setting, when you look at what the EPA is saying, you know, what authority it says that it has, um, where you look at the statute and that authority doesn't exist, there's nothing in the text of the statute. Um, I think you have an issue where you're looking at an executive agency taking on immense legislative power. And the court's point is that this is not something that should be able to happen when you're talking about immense economic and political impact of, you know, if we are to allow an agency to just read, you know, read an elephant in a mouse hole, as Scalia said, but to just, you know, look at a vague, um, you know, statutory provision and say, this is vague, um, but I, I think we can work with this vagueness and I think we can take on the control and totally transform the electricity um, sector of the entire nation. And I think when you have such potentially extreme consequences from agency, agency action, um, taking on, you know, another branch's power, that's where you have the issue. Um, and Kagan, I mean, she she points out 
a lot. I think a lot of more questions that the legislative branch could consider um, and just, you know, how you're implementing some of these things. But I think what I, you know, what I was saying here is really what the core issue was for the court. And I so uh, Scalia obviously wasn't in this decision, but he said that uh, in Whitman v. American Trucking, he used the famous line that you can't use, a, you can't, Congress does not hide elephants in mouse holes, meaning that when an administrative agency takes on a small ancillary part of the statute and claims great powers through it, that the court should look at that with skepticism. Right. Um, now, uh, Kagan has a different view, and I think it is the strong administrative state view. And what, what she is getting at is she says, look, this, this legislation was passed primarily in the early 1970s. Um, in those days, CO2 wasn't even considered a pollutant, right? Um, and that, that was controversial too. In the EPA versus Massachusetts, I think they decided that, CO, that, that they could categorize CO2, which we all exhale, as a pollutant because of global warming issues. Um, so, but what she's saying is Congress can't tell the future. So they can give broad powers to these agencies so because they can't know what the future is going to bring and they don't have any expertise. And this is, this is the strong administrative state view that I think has kind of prevailed from the 1930s till, till certainly the 1990s, but maybe till now. Um, and she is holding up that end um, pretty strongly. She says, look, I don't believe that Congress can do this stuff. They don't know anything. Um, they are allowed to give broad powers to the agencies. And her, so her response to the majority is, hey, um, there are already constraints on the EPA and majority. Um, by the way, they all met these targets. Everybody met these targets, even when this, this regulation was struck down by you in a preliminary injunction which you shouldn't have done, right? She's kind of annoyed with them uh, staying that regulation in the first place. Why is that? Right. Well, I think, I mean, I think the point is, and, I, and she, she makes a good point where there's a difference between vague terms and capacious terms. And I think that's to your point, John, where you, Congress does have the ability to delegate and, you know, they can phrase things broadly in order to give the necessary wiggle room to these agencies. But I think it's it's a matter of how much wiggle room is being given here. And I think here, where you're looking at this huge, huge transformation that's gonna be billions of dollars of cost, not only for these power companies themselves who might have to either shut down, you know, all of their coal-fired plants or, you know, build new ones that are wind farms or, or whatever it might be. Um, but it's not only them, but I mean, there, there are projected billions of dollars of cost for electricity users, just, and that means all Americans in general who have electricity, just all kinds of, you know, the immense impact. And I think that's where this major questions doctrine comes in. Um, and you just look at how, you know, I think you can broadly phrase statutes. I think she's right about that. But when you're reaching a point like this, where it's just such a big political question and impact and economic, um, that's where maybe, you know, you take it back to Congress and maybe they phrase their statutes. I mean, here, I don't think you can even look at the language and say, oh, they intended this to be broadly phrased and capacious so that the agencies can, you know, work in it. Like, I think, I think the language needs to be indicating that, you know, this is broad, but there are limits or, you know, something that indicates <laughs> that the agencies can do this. And um, let's uh, talk a little bit about her view of this and her she has a, a position 
that the majority disagrees with and Gorsuch strongly disagrees with, um, which is that, hey, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, it was set up to do this. It's totally in their wheelhouse. This was a huge deal when they passed this law. They knew they were given tremendous power to this agency. It is the subject matter of the agency. So, hey, we shouldn't be interfering. Congress knows how to delegate. Congress knows what the EPA is up to. Um, they haven't stopped it. And um, at the time, and she uses legislative history, she says the legislative history is even more on my side. And a lot of us don't like legislative history, as Scalia said as well. It's, right. it's basically looking uh, in a crowd in a room and picking out your friends, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think that, that it does seem that she's saying that Congress made these big choices. They did put in Section 111. And um, EPA isn't doing anything new. You're doing something new. So she's criticizing the majority. She's saying, wait a second. You've never even used the word major questions doctrine before. How did this come from? This is brand new. It's revolutionary, right? Um, well, is it revolutionary? Well, actually, I mean, it's funny that you point that out because it wasn't the EPA itself that used it. Um, I mean, it was the one that originally repealed the Clean Power Plan. So that under is, the Trump that is correct. Right? So what happens for the audience, so, so yeah, what Casey's getting at is that when the EPA repealed this, this uh, these rules, it said, we think this goes, this is a major question. If the statutory power doesn't have it, we don't have the statutory power. And obviously a, a change of administrations had happened. And um, one of the things that's, that's getting Kagan's go here is that the regulations were repealed. The Biden administration had not reinstated them. So why is the court doing this? Uh, she believes that the court is taking over um, global warming uh, policy from the Congress and the president. And where does Kagan come from? Well, she was uh, in the Obama administration, she, like John Roberts, actually, she is executive focused. And she thinks, and, and Roberts is, is worried about the administrative agencies to some extent, but both of them come from the executive branch. And she is a strong executive branch. They get to do what they want. But, um, so anyway, she's she's mad that they, they they've been taking this on, and she begins her whole her whole descent with a parade of horribles. Right? If if you don't do this, we're all going to die. Which is, and I'm exaggerating, obviously, but but what we've seen this whole term is that the dissents are usually saying, uh, you know, in the gun case, they everyone's going to commit suicide and shoot each other. Um, in the abortion case, uh, everyone's uh, this rights going to be taken away and, and there's going to be a horrible ruin throughout the country. Um, no, they can't govern themselves. They can't pass state laws. There'll be all, all these oppressions. So they always start with a parade of horribles um, rather, rather, I think, than the text in those other two cases I just mentioned. Here, she's, she leans strongly on the text. And she even says that she has said we're all textualists now. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually want to read this because this is pretty funny. I, I, I thought it was pretty, it was a pretty good shot um, in that at the end of the, at, at the end of it, she says, I said we were all textualists now, but I'm wrong because the majority is not textualist, which is, is a pretty, a pretty good shot at her uh, colleagues who, who have met, you know, particularly Gorsuch uh, says some years ago, I remarked that we're all textualists now, Harvard Law School, the Antonin Scalia Lecture Series. Um, 
It seems I was wrong. The current court is textualist only when it's those two things. Anyway, so I, I think that that's pretty good. We're going to come back and we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about this. Welcome back to Administrative Static. I'm here with Casey Norman, and we're still discussing um, West Virginia versus EPA. And I thought uh, I, I'm going to finish that uh, that Kagan quote about we're all textuals now. And then she says, the current court is textuals only when being so suits it. When that method would frustrate broader goals, special canons like the, quote, major questions doctrine magically appear as get out of text free cards. Today, one of the broader goals makes itself clear, prevent agencies from doing important work, even though that is what Congress directed. That anti-administrative state stance shows up in the majority opinion, and it suffuses the concurrence, meaning Gorsuch. Um, and then she goes on to say how the nation's founding were all for this. And for good measure, she quotes Adrian Vermeule, uh, who is a Harvard guy, and, and Kagan uh, was a Harvard, uh, ran Harvard Law. So uh, she knows Mule well. And, and shot there is, is that he's a big conservative uh, administrative state guy. And so she's she's quoting him to show that this isn't some, you know, off the wall proposition. This is one of the major um, folks in administrative law. Um, and 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 Roberts, on the other hand, he, he quotes uh, William Eskridge, my old professor, um, who's now at Yale, um, and his interpretive method. So each of them it, and all of them are quoting Scalia. Uh, apparently, the sainted Scalia is uh, is can be used for all uh, purposes. So, um, so uh, question here is is that she is very um, focused on the problem of greenhouse gases. But I, I'll ask you this: so she goes on with parade of horribles, but. Um, by her own case, nothing happened, right? <laughs> nothing happened here. The they made the rule. The rule was stopped by the Supreme Court, and they all met the targets. The 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 power companies all fell below the numbers all throughout the United States. And in fact, the United States has dropped greenhouse gases more than Europe, more than anybody. Right. So these is is this um, this is an important case, or is, are these just academically? Um, academic disputes with no real world consequences. I mean, I think, I mean, it's a good point, but I think the issue is if the EPA would be able to take on this kind of power, I think it would become an important case and it opens the door for future cases where you see, you know, like a throwaway or however it is that uh, Roberts describes this section 211D where it's kind of way broader and more vague than the other more detailed uh, restrictive clauses of the act. And, you know, in, in other situations, can agencies see something at the end that seems kind of vague and say, can we do this in this circumstance as well? And I think if you're opening the door like this to making major, major impactful decisions without actually having explicit 
authorization uh, from Congress, I think that becomes an issue. And that is and that is the problem. And I think that's why the majority took this case to to uh, basically throw a brushback pitch to some extent. I thought the best part of her dissent is why would you take this case? You know, um, nothing happened that it, we didn't have to, especially I think she's really talking to Roberts, right? He's all judicial modesty and we don't do this and we don't do that. And we don't decide things until we really have to decide them. And, and yet he's the, he's writing the majority here. And so I think she's saying, why did we take this one? Um, is it just because you got a majority right now and you want to get it out of the way? But one of the things he says is we're not, what are we not deciding? Um, we're not deciding if the, um, if the Clean Power Act only allows technological fixes, right? right? So there's still some dispute about that. If if this Clean Power Act is only for them to put technology on new and old plants, you know, the way the statute says, or what do systems mean? And they don't really explain fully what systems means, right? Yeah. And I, for the for, for you folks out there, um, sis, Section 111, which they're all discussing, says that like the best um, system for reduction. And then, but they don't, neither side defines system. Kagan says, ah, it's a system. You know, everything's a system. And Robert says, well, it can't mean that. And one of the questions I think that's out there, which I do think is a little bit like the old Thomistic scholastics in the Middle Ages, arguing about how many angels are on the head of a pin, is this idea that Robert says that they could put in technological rules or rules that he would agree with that would cause the coal companies not to be able to produce power. At, incidentally, it would be incidental to what they were really doing. Um, but they can't do it directly. And she says, that's the craziest thing I ever heard, right? If, if they can do it indirectly, then why can't they do it this way? Um, and I don't think that either side has really come down there because he, what he's saying is you cannot say President Obama, has, or maybe it was Biden, I forgot, said that um, they can build a coal plant, but we'll make it unprofitable for them. And so they can't produce any energy, right, under his plan, meaning this plan, really. Um, what is the difference? And I wonder, from a regulatory perspective, um, is Roberts inviting the administrative agencies to hide what they're doing by saying they can do it this other way? I mean, for me, when I considered that point, I thought the main issue is where is this authorization coming from? And I think if you have this provision that's given to an agency and they can do whatever they want, like here, I think part of the best system thing is also the fact that the EPA can set the limit that they think is, you know, the maximum. And then with that, they get to determine what the what the caps are. Like for for instance, in this case, they said we're going from what, 38% of electricity coming from coal fired 27. to 27. Yeah. And and that resulted in really, really drastically extreme costs for the coal-fired plants, where they they have to shut down completely and like build all new factories or that are you know renewable, or just really extreme consequences. I, I don't know. I think it depends on how much where where this authorization is coming from and what that means in terms of what kinds of plans the EPA can implement and if it's going to be limited to really like you have to shut down your business completely or pay your competitors in order to maintain business, um, or something more moderate, but. It yeah. is a tricky question. I also thought something's working out there. The case, um, the previous case, I think it was Utility Air, EPA v. Mass, where they agreed that CO2 was a pollutant that could be regulated by the EPA. That was a big fight, right? And Alito mm -hmm. still thinks 
Alito lost that fight, but he's <laughs> he's bitter. And he's uh, he still he said before that was wrongly decided. CO2 is not a pollutant because pollutants are different. Um, and and I guess his his point is since global warming wasn't a thing in the seventies, um, I remember I thought it was global cooling at the time. I remember Time Magazine had a new ice age on there. Anyway, but um, that uh, this wasn't contemplated to be. A, and, and Roberts gets at this a little because he talks about acid rain, right? right? He says everything they did about acid rain, Congress had put in the statute about acid rain, they're toxic. Toxic things are different. And he, and, he, and he used the statutory language of the sections that deal with toxic pollutants rather than CO2, which is not a toxic pollution, meaning um, as soon as it touches you, you could die, right? If you get a certain amount of it, you could die. Um, and it's not that kind of thing. I mean, if there's no oxygen in the room, there's only CO2, you die. But it's not as if the CO2 is um, is killing you the way acid would or mercury. The other thing oh, they right. all talk about is mercury, heavy metal. So the court is using the Clean Air Act to say, hey, look, yeah, we said they could re regulate CO2 in conjunction with the states, right? The, the, um, the Clean Air Act has a role for the states to play. And, and one of the things Gorsuch says is, you know, when they, when they, when they, one of the things when we use a major question doctrine is when it's touching on states' capacities, right? So what does he mean by that? What, what's going on there? So yeah, that was really helpful. I thought in his concurrence where he says that because there's a major, there's a major question. I'll phrase it. <laughs> probably shouldn't use that phrasing, but there is an issue there where you don't know what is a major question, and when you're it, for instance, under the Clean Air Act, it is the states who actually are supposed to have, you know, determine the specific rules that they're going to enforce in order to limit the emissions. Um, and I think here when you're and I think that's another issue, really extreme issue with this case is when you're giving such authority to the agency where they're kind of, you know, the, the consequences and the rules are so extreme that you're taking away not only powers naturally vested in the legislative branch, but also from the states who should be able to kind of run, you know, their own state and run how their power plants are going to be um, lessening the emissions and that kind of thing. So I think his point was, if you see something like that, where the states are losing their power and you're having the agency running the whole show, that's a major question. Yeah. And, and Congress, Congress should have said they wanted that. Because one of the things I found interesting in here, was I wrong or did they say that Congress intervened so that the EPA couldn't say you had to use low salt for coal? Uh, I thought I saw something about that. Oh, I, maybe yeah. it's not, but, but, uh, basically there's a, there's, we've seen ads for like clean coal, there's low sulfur and high sulfur coal, and they wanted scrubbers to get rid of it because <laughs> the people who produce the high sulfur coal, like West Virginia and places like that, don't want all the, the coal producers out West where they have the, the low sulfur coal to, to get an advance. And one of the things about the administrative state that I want to point out for our audience, which I found um, interesting, that Kagan pointed out, and I didn't realize it. All the power producers back the EPA. Um, all the regulated agencies, uh, entities, put in a big brief that oh, this is fine, everything's fine here, right? Because they're they're hand in glove with the EPA in a lot of things. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize that when I first read the case until I got to Kagan's dissent. Um, but I don't think that's a plus for her. I, I think that the regulated parties are all for it. It should give you some pause about what's going on here. Are they knocking out competitors? Are they, you know, what's exactly happening there? Yeah, that is kind of ominous. Um, I didn't realize either. And um, so uh, the last thing, um, I do I do think that a theme is arising 
from this term. Uh, obviously, uh, the originalist textualist and structure of the Constitution is becoming um, more and more important. But another thing is the dissent. Kagan and Breyer and uh, Sotomayor are trying to, to paint the new majority as radical, as doing new things that have never been done before, as, as, as uh, calling out, um, you know, uh, uh, from nothing, uh, out of nothing, ex nihilo and all that. But anyway, so from these new principles. And one of the things the Roberts course have to do is say, no, we've been doing this for years. We're just giving it a name. Anyway, Kate, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back very shortly with another segment.